Weekly Sense, Carl. I'm in New York City. Sorry for the blurred background with the logo on it, but um, we don't really want to see the, the view that I've got here. How are you doing? Doing great. Uh, markets always tend to get volatile when you're out of the office, isn't it? You know, it's just, it's just that way. You know, a client once told me, Andrew, you wish you had that power. Um, and I always believed her when she said that. I wish I did. I can't control it, but uh, I did want to jump in, do weekly sense while I'm away um, from the city that never sleeps here in New York. And there are some things that we wanted to go over. You released the, the new Carl's desk just recently. I thought it was a fantastic piece. Uh, and I know sometimes it can get a little lengthy. So we wanted to do a little bit of a recap of what that was in a video format for Weekly Sense this week. But what I wanted to kick off with was retail earnings. So I'm gonna pull up a quick chart of some of the biggest stocks in retail. Now this doesn't include Costco, which reports next week, but you can see here, this is Target, Walmart and Dollar Tree all getting completely smoked uh, this week on their earnings. Now it didn't seem like it was a revenue problem for a lot of these companies. It was more of an earnings problem but I did read that the drop in Walmart, which was um, the largest drop since 1987, great year, by the way, 1987, but the largest drop since 1987, single day drop. And you can see the obliteration of these charts uh, that we've got on the screen with Dollar Tree down 15%, uh, Walmart down 19%, and Target faring the worst down almost 30% in the last five days. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what happened in these earnings. Does it reflect where the consumers are right now um, and just the overall uh, arching thought process on, on the retail consumer? I don't think it says much about where consumers are right now. There's a little bit of consumer shifting going on away from the more discretionary goods, but revenue was, was basically good in the quarters reported. It was really more of an earnings problem as logistics expenses are going up. Right. It's just... yeah. We saw fuel expenses first... have gone up, so it's just costing a lot more for big box retailers moving big, heavy, cheaper goods around. So their their earnings are getting hit as their operating expenses go up. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of people looked at this as saying, "Wait a minute, whoa, the consumers are really weak right now." This is evident with what's going on with some of these big box retail companies. And I would probably argue the exact opposite. So yes, it makes a lot of logical sense to assume that people are now switching from goods purchases over to servicing purchases. So they would need to purchase things like luggage instead of purchasing some of the home discretionary items that may have been purchased a lot over the last few years. Where you would tend to see problems in a lot of these retail companies is if they were actually missing their revenue numbers that would be a gauge of the consumer. But when we have an average price of gasoline of $4 a gallon in every single state, that hurts these slim margin businesses. So it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with Costco next week and their earnings call uh, and see if there's any kind of similar reaction um, that we've already seen so far uh, kind of being drugged down uh, with the rest right. of the Right, well, there, there probably will be. Costco shares already reacted to earnings at Target and Walmart this week. And they're, so they're like we'll super see. slim margins. Right. I mean, Costco is the lowest margin retailer. Uh, I mean, you can see why. You just go in there and look at everything and, and what you're paying for it. You know, the way they, the way it all works is they make you buy a lot. Yeah. Well, the, the major reason that that was just some news that I wanted to point out because those are some, you know, high level names that everybody recognizes. 
But the major reason I wanted to have weekly sense today and come in and shoot it today was because we just put out a piece uh, from Carl's desk about uh, is is a recession or are we in a recession? And your view and our firm's view is probably not. And why that's important is because that dictates what we want to be doing with portfolios, at least in the near term. Obviously, we're long-term investors. We're investing for the long term. But what happens in the near term can make fundamental shifts of what we're doing in the portfolio. So are we in a recession now? Probably not. Why is that, Carl? Uh, well, all the key indicators that we look at on that are not pointing in that direction yet. And a lot of people complain about consumer sentiment being so so bad out there. But if you go back and you look at historical consumer sentiment, often it's bad in a recession, and that's a coincident indicator, but it's not a cause of it. And there have been times in the past when consumer sentiment has been quite bad, but we haven't been in a recession. And I think 2011 is probably the best example of that. That was another time when energy prices were high uh, coming out of the 2008-9 recession. And there was a lot going on in the world. There was a European debt crisis. The US lost its AAA credit rating. There was volatility in markets. And uh, people, didn't, people didn't feel good. But uh, that's, you know, that's not necessarily what um, you know, causes recessions. I mean, sh small shifts in consumer behavior don't really cause the economy to slow down or um, expand a lot either. So, you know, the main things that we look at right now, and, and you can kind of see this when you look at corporate earnings, which are generally pretty good, even though guidance has been a little bit mixed. Uh, the, main, the main things that we look at are that unemployment hasn't, hasn't started ticking up yet. You'd want to see that for probably a, a three to six month period to start to really think that we were at risk of being in a recession. Yeah. Have we ever had a recession with a 3.6% unemployment, Carl? Well, a recession can begin when unemployment is low, but it has to start, it has to start increasing right. and you don't generally get you know, you get top peaks in business cycles when unemployment is at a trough, but you often don't get the recession starting until you've had unemployment start to go up for at least a few months. So that's something that we'll be closely watching for any like few month trend in the upward direction. But the other side of that too, is that our labor force participation is not as high as it's been in the past either. So you know, is our really low unemployment rate really indicative of um, extreme tightness in the labor market? Some would say probably not. Yeah. So the other things that we look at are, um, you know, or that many people look at are leading economic indicator. We indexes. talked about that last week, I think, right? Yeah, we talked about that a little bit last week. The conference board does one. And what you saw was that before every recession in the past 20 years on the chart we showed, uh, at least like three to six months before the recession starts, the leading economic indicators are starting to roll over. And there are other summary aggregate sum summaries of leading economic indicators, but basically a lot of the activity around industrial production, um, you know, manufacturing, things like the ISM manufacturing survey, like all these things, They've got to start rolling over 
before you get into a recession because you go from growth to no growth to decline. Right. And that's a process that, you know, you can see in the data and it takes like three to six months. Yeah, several months. Really see that. And we're just not, we're just not seeing anything there yet. So no uh, indicators on, on uh, unemployment, no indicators on leading economic indicators. And then no there's another on. Yeah, there, there, are other, there are other summaries of uh, are, are all the things that people look for with recessions. There's a St. Louis Fed smooth U.S. recession probability where like they actually look at the indicators that, you know, the National Bureau of Economic Research uses to like measure economic growth and the, and the business cycle and, and formally date recessions. And that, uh, that smooth recession probability has never been wrong. And it's, it's never been like late or early. And they've got that going back 50 plus years. Right. And it's, it's not much higher than zero yet. And generally, you know, to be in a recession, you would see that starting to tick up, you know, to like, see that recession probability start to tick up to like 10, 20, 30%. And often, you know, it's not, it's not above like 50 until you're actually like, or more until you're actually in one. So that's, that's another thing that takes like a three to six month time period to start to materialize. So we're just not seeing anything yet as bad as people feel. And as bad as this correction feels to everyone. And to get back onto the point uh, before we move on to the next topic of consumer sentiment, those low points in consumer sentiment, they coincidentally t- seem to be great buying opportunities if you look out over a three or five year time period, uh, whether that was 2011, whether that was March of 2009, whether it was April of 20, uh, 2020. Um, these low points in consumer sentiment, when everybody feels like it's, doom and gloom outside tend to be the counterintuitive positioning points on when you want to be actually looking to buy or add value into the portfolio. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Because when consumers feel really bad, you know, they're often, um, especially if the stock market isn't doing well, you often have a lot of people panicking out of um, stocks and selling whatever's in their portfolios. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of news so far about tech hedge funds and different people being down a lot. And, you know, maybe we'll see some news in a few months that some of those funds are being liquidated. Right. There's definitely panic out there and there's definitely a lot of selling. You don't know exactly when it will end, but it looks like we're, we're probably closer to the end than the beginning because when you look at the history of corrections and bear markets, you don't generally get anything that's much worse than this unless you're in a recession and the economy is definitely contracting and the unemployment rate is going up and people are really not not spending as much. Yeah, and that's just not what we're seeing right now. Right. So, yeah, the, the we talked about some other things in this piece and we'll we'll go over those quickly and yeah, you know, maybe next week we'll go into more detail on some of these things, but I showed another chart in there where I talked about how quantitative easing and quantitative tightening have caused re- corrections, but not recessions. If you go so back over the last 10 years, what you'll yeah. see is that, you know, there was volatility whenever quantitative easing ended or quantitative tightening began. And I don't so know just how much so everyone that's... knows what that means, Carl. So quantitative easing is when the Federal Reserve is stimulating the economy. 
quantitative tightening or lowering rates. Quantitative tightening is when they're actually pulling some of that liquidity out of the system and they're actually raising rates at the same time. Right. Known as quantitative tightening, and that's kind of where we're in right now. And what right you quantitative saying, quantitative easing is is when they're buying bonds to put more cash into the financial system, increase liquidity, you know, make financial conditions easier. It's what they do when, because we've been at such low interest rates and we can't go below zero, it's what they do to make things even easier than, than putting the Fed funds rate down at zero. Right. And quantitative tightening is going in reverse. Um, when they did, when they do quantitative easing and they buy a lot of bonds like treasuries, mortgage backed, you know, sometimes even corporate like they did uh, during the COVID crash, you know, quantitative tightening is when they let that stuff roll off the balance sheet, let it mature and decrease the size of the balance sheet. So that's quantitative easing, but in reverse. Yeah. And you said that there's been no point where they've been switching from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening that has led to a recession, but it has led to a number of corrections. Right, that's right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense though, right? I mean, the liquidity is being pulled from the market, people get fearful, uh, fund managers have to reallocate and position and purchase other assets that they wouldn't necessarily purchase or liquidate assets that they wouldn't necessarily have to liquidate. And that can cause more volatility in the overall marketplace, which is right. probably takes, a lot of what we're seeing right now. Right, it takes marginal buyers away from risky assets and it takes the, Fed is a marginal buyer away from treasuries. So the market has to adjust to that. You know, we saw that, you know, longer term treasury yields took a bounce up over the last month. And so everything has to adjust to that. But we we have a lot of reasons why we think inflation will decline still um, and why treasury yields will fall. We'll just have to see that play out over some time. And you know, over the next couple of quarters. And we'll, we'll go into more detail in that on all of that in the future. But the other main points to take away for right now are that, um, you know, especially in the wake of this correction, stocks look cheap relative to bonds. Yeah. You know, especially considering the earnings yield, you know, there's this big perception out there that um, bond yields going up is putting pressure on stocks. And, you know, there's some theory behind it, but I pulled out some charts here to show that it hasn't always been the case. You know, it really depends on, you know, should our stocks riskier than bonds? And is the risk justified by the amount of growth that you're getting from them? And that's, that's a very psychological thing. It just, it depends on where things are. And I think because interest rates are so low, people want to see more earnings yield in stocks, but it hasn't always been the case, especially in times in the past when bond yields have been higher. Often stocks have traded with the same kind of earnings yield as the yield on bonds, or sometimes even with a lower earnings yield if than the yield on bonds if people thought there was a lot of growth from stocks. So that's um, that's something that changes over time, and there's, there's clearly not a... Um, a right answer to that. So, you know, the whole market right now is operating on that assumption that stocks need to trade at a higher earnings yield than, you know, the yield that you get on bonds. And I'm just looking at the history on that and, you know, challenging that a little bit, but assuming that remains the case, 
sure, if, if inflation remains elevated or doesn't decline as quickly as we expect it to and bond yields stay up or, or they go higher, sure, that could put more pressure on stocks, but it doesn't necessarily we're, we're have getting, to be- We're getting to a point, we're getting to a point in a lot of you know fantastic companies that are actually trading at extremely large discounts to just even just even recent history. And what I, what I always try to remind people of is, you know, so our viewpoints are is we don't see a recession this year. Um, could it be, you know, a little bit further down on the horizon as the Fed continues to raise rates? That's a probability that's that's in the deck. But as of this point in time, you know, we're looking at a lot of indicators that are generally leading that tell us, you know, if a recession's pretty soon to be happening, you know, at least this year, and none of them are firing on any cylinders. Um, and with that point being made, you're looking at a market right now where you're seeing a lot of multiples for some, you know, fairly stable, strong companies that are buying back shares that are at really cheap valuations. And what I try to remind people of is we've been through these periods of time, whether it's 2011, whether it's 2015, whether it's 2018, whether it was 2020, uh, we've seen portfolios and we've seen markets go through these nasty, nasty corrections. And yes, this one's pretty significant. Yes, it's pretty deep. But I don't remember one correction in the U.S. market history where it didn't come back. And that's something that we try to you know, always instill in our clients and in our workings when we try to deal with portfolios here at Wayland Financial. And I think that's something important to remember. Right. So that's why we feel like the best thing to do right now is to reposition look at everything that we have. And there are so many companies out there that um, that are much cheaper now. They're continuing to grow. Earnings have continued right. to be good. And, you know, if they've, you know, if they've got good cash flow, they're able to buy back a lot of shares now. And they're, uh, they're, they're doing that on a larger scale than we've seen in the past couple of years. So I think that will put a floor under a lot of these stocks and make it hard for them to go down much more, even if the market goes down a little bit more, but it seems like it'll be, it's kind of hard at this point for that to happen. And then also, you know, we, we think treasury yields will probably be peaking. We may have seen the peak in treasury yields already. There's been enough damage out there and in markets that treasuries are starting to act well, the yields are starting to fall a bit and we, we could easily see a little more of that, but it's something that we want to confirm over the next couple of months. So um, those are the things that we're thinking about right now. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know uh, you put a lot of work and a lot of effort into those Carl Desk pieces. This one was absolutely fantastic. If you haven't had a chance to read it, just shoot us an email. We'll send you out a copy of that um, uh, Carl's Desk. For, your, uh, for, for you to be able to read through it all in detail. We try to summarize the major points today. Uh, but again, if you guys have any questions, shoot us an email at info at Wayland Financial or give us a call at 702-878-3900. I appreciate the time today, Carl. All right. Well, thank you, Andrew. Thanks for taking time out of your, your vacation. And I hope you can get some, some sleep and you know the markets settle down here. Right? Like I said, I can't control it. All we can do is make good decisions. Talk to you soon. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. All opinions expressed by Andrew Whalen, employees at Whalen Financial, or any other podcast guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Whalen Financial. Whalen Financial is a registered investment advisor. 
This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Wayland Financial may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.